And so, as the sun rose, casting long shadows through the sausage bushes, and illuminating the tops of the honey trees, and warming the fields of smoked salmon, I, Baron Munchausen, am renowned first and foremost for telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. For while it has been my privilege Jason, to... Jason, we really need to talk. Why, if it isn't my faithful and wondrously talented servant, Shivestickus! <sighs> I'm not Shivestickus, and you are not Baron Munchausen. Correct, sir, I am not. Oh. Well, good. I, I was afraid you were having another episode where you've lost touch with reality. I am Baron Hieronymus Carl Frederick Ferrer von Munchausen. Now, what shall we do first? Behead some Turks? Meet some gods? Sail to the moon? How about you have a nice talk with your therapist? No doctors! Found Chelsea isn't real. He's only in store. Go away! I'm trying to die! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, it's... What? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. As you guys know, it's May, and that's our birthday month, and now it's time for my birthday movie. Last week, we made Steve defend the Hulk. Yay. And it went pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah, I think it was a good show, absolutely. He pretty much knew what it felt already anyway, right? Yeah. We've we've, talked about it before. (laughs) We've discussed it. He cried about it a long time ago, and now he just accepts it, Yeah, yeah. You know, years ago when the subject first came out, I I reached out to you (laughs) for comfort, and you coldly turned me away. That's right. (laughs) And that set the tone for our entire relationship. It's fine. Exactly. But this time around, it's my birthday movie. And Steve, what birthday movie did I get? You picked it, <laughs> yes. but I got it. My my own blind choice, but yes, it was. Uh, we are going to review the 1988 adventure fantasy, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yay! Yay! Had you seen it before? I had never seen it before. This wow! Is, so I'm I you you took my Baron Munchausen virginity. Uh, ooh, okay. I'm, I apologize. You just said this is a hot take. This is a hot take. I apologize to you and to all of our listeners. Now I feel dirty. I want to stop the show. <laughs> I didn't mean to die. I didn't take it. You gave it to me. <laughs> There's a difference. Come on. Taking is a violent act. It was, it was you're right. It was a consensual You gave me thing. your flower. That's what yes, you said. Yes, there you go. I gave, I, I, I am giving you my Baron Munchausen flower. Thank you. Yes, that's much better. I don't want this to take a dark turn. Okay, it already did. It's too late. Yeah. We've put so much in the listener's head right now. Yeah, it's. I, I, I am, I'm sorry to all of you for who are listening for, for saying if, that. It was, it was. If they haven't ripped the headphones out already or just staring <laughs> disgustedly at it, their MP3 player. It was a like, terrible should mistake. I, should I keep going? <laughs> I, I promise it will be better from this point on. All right, so, Steve, yes. do you have any trivia for The Adventures of Baron Munchausen? I have a little bit, yeah. Okay, um, yay. Well, the the thing that most people, if people know anything about this movie, especially if they haven't seen it, they know that it was famously bedeviled by delays and cost overruns. Oh, yeah, it was. That's probably, and you'll get to this later, but it's probably one of the main reasons why 
it's considered to be such a bomb at the box office because mm-hmm. it was grossly over budget. In fact, it was so over budget that they were already $2 million in the hole mm-hmm. before yep. principal photography even started. Yep. And by the end of the production, they were essentially out of money and they were having to improvise stuff just to yeah. get things in camera, which in a, in a couple of cases actually worked out pretty well. Um, but yeah, so it was famously over budget and delayed and just a boondoggle financially speaking. Yeah. Uh, so that, but everybody kind of knows that. The other piece of trivia I thought was interesting is that uh, John Neville, who plays Baron Munchausen, uh, of course he's wearing a humongous prosthetic nose to get that Baron Munchausen look. And a the very nose, good nose, too. Yeah, it looks very authentic. Yeah, it doesn't look like an obvious fake nose. Um, but uh, yeah, the nose was so large that while he was wearing it, he was unable to read or to eat properly. <laughs> so that is an actor suffering for his art. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, part of my trivia has to do with one of the reasons why there were so many problems, and that was because a lot of the agreements for making this film were verbal. Yeah. No one wrote anything down. No one signed anything. People kept getting confused about how much money was going to go to what, and then pretty much all the money dried up. One of the reasons why it's a box office bomb is because by the time the movie was made, they didn't release it wide. I was lucky to be working in a movie theater where this movie was being shown. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. So one of the reasons why the box office is so awful, and you guys <laughs> will hear about the box office soon, is because they didn't release it in that many theaters when it finally came out. The movie went had good critical success. A lot of critics liked it. Nobody saw it. It got nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, which I don't care about, but at least it was still on people's radar because mm-hmm. they recognized the work that went into the movie back at a time when they did that, and it only seems to happen on technical categories. I don't know how that, why that is, Steve. Why is it only the technical categories? That well, get... well, because fantasy movies don't really count oh, as, is that as what drama. It is? Yeah, they don't really, they, you can't really nominate a fantasy movie mm-hmm. or, or an action movie or really any genre movie for any of the serious awards because yeah. they're not you know they're not people they, they don't count they're not real movies you know no so you're ready for the who made it yes oh god All yes right. It was directed by Terry Gilliam. You guys know who Terry Gilliam is. He's one of Monty Python. (laughs) And he's responsible for directing several of the Monty Python films. And he went on to his own uh, movie career as a director. And he's maybe one of the most unique directors working out there that continues to get money for his really, really weird movies. Yes. He's, uh, He's never made a commercial film. No one's ever asked him to direct anything mainstream, I don't think. Nor do I think would he do that. He is interested in doing his movies, right? Yeah, I think if he ever were, I, I don't know, but I think if he were ever offered to do like a mainstream movie or like a franchise movie, he would probably demand so much control over it that they would <laughs> that just they would, say, yeah. eh, no thanks. Exactly. <laughs> it was produced by Thomas Shirley. Okay, I put a question mark in the middle of his name, so I don't know if that's an O or a U or an E. Shirley? Shirley? Sh- I don't know. Whatever. Written by Terry Gilliam and Charles. McEwen. And now, Charles McEwen plays one of the characters in the movie, and he's also heavily associated with Python. He co-wrote Brazil with Tom Stoppard and, and Terry Gilliam, and he's just all over Python stuff, and you will probably recognize him as kind of like a side character in several of the Python films, and several of Terry Gilliam's films. Starring John Neville, 
as Hieronymus Carl Frederick Baron von Munchausen. And you might recognize him as the general that gets black goop on his face at the beginning of Fifth Element. <laughs> and Steve might recognize him from the X-Files as the manicured man. Yes, right? absolutely. The well-manicured man. Absolutely. He's like one of the other guys besides the cigarette-smoking man. Yeah. yeah. And he was you know, mostly a stage actor, did a lot, of, but also did a lot of TV in England and uh, has bit parts in a lot of movies. He never really broke big i think this is his most significant role um and he kicks he kicks ass I, yeah. i'm i don't care i love this movie i love him he's, i love you john neville he's he's perfect for this role <laughs> eric idol is desmond slash Berthold, and you guys know who he is do i really have to he's a, he's a pythoner you know him <laughs> sarah Polly as sally salt now you guys know sarah when she growed up but she's like nine in this movie yeah and she grew up, and she's done Dawn of the Dead and Splice, and she's become a director of her own. You guys will recognize her. Yeah. A little side thing from this. She had a little note to give to, to Terry Gilliam over the last couple of years about kids in Hollywood, because uh, she was terrified a lot while making this movie. <laughs> Because there were explosions and a whole bunch of other stuff, and she felt it was dangerous, and apparently it traumatized her a great deal. And while she says she doesn't regret making the movie, she was warning Terry Gilliam about using kids in Hollywood. It was kind of like an open letter thing. Yeah, like, make sure you don't terrify them to death when yeah, you're make, making Yeah, movie. you need to work with them very closely to they understand this is fake and you can't get hurt. Right. Oliver Reed as Vulcan. <laughs> Before I tell you what else he's been in, I love Oliver Reed more than I I think I love he's one of those actors that every time I've seen him in something, I'm always happy. And he's always playing a kind of tough guy, yeah. usually. Um, you guys will know him from Oliver, where he played Bill Sykes, um, The Three Musketeers, and uh, Gladiator was his very last movie, and then he died, because there's one other thing that Oliver Reed liked to do a lot, and that's <laughs> drink. Oh, like, boy. a lot. Like, he could, the amount he would drink could kill three people, <laughs> but somehow he's managed, he managed to stay alive until he was 61, and then he died, and yeah. I'm sad. Charles McEwen is Rupert Adolphus. I already talked to you about him. Winston Dennis as Bill Albrecht. Nothing. <laughs> Jer Jack Purvis as Jeremy slash Gustavus. And you will know him from Time Bandits and also from Brazil. Hmm. And also, Jack Purvis is a really good actor. And um, he didn't get nearly as much work as he should have. Um, and then, unfortunately, he suffered a spinal injury. And he became a quadriplegic for a little while. And then he passed. So he, he passed away. Now I'm sad again. Boy. You're just bringing the hits with these uh, uh, credits, aren't well, you? Did I mention John Neville's dead, too? So yeah, there we and, go. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't get any better after this. Stop it. Valentina Cortez as Queen Ada, uh, Ariadne and, and Violet. And she is uh, best known for being in Day for Night, which is a Truffaut film. Um, she's an Italian actress. And uh, she's good. I haven't seen any her in anything else except for uh, except hmm. for uh, Day for Night. Yeah. Have you seen her in anything? No, just I'm the same way. I, I saw her in Day for Night and this, and I can't think. I may have seen her in something else, but I can't think of it. Yeah, Jonathan Price as the right <laughs> ordinary Horatio Jackson, another one of my all time favorite actors. First time I saw him was in uh, Something Wicked This Way 
Comes, where he played the bad guy, and then in Brazil, where he plays the main character. Um, and you'll see him in a lot of bit parts and playing villains. I mean, he played the the evil president of the United States in a G.I. Joe movie, and <laughs> he, he made his name on stage, and then he played the High Sparrow in Game of Thrones. So you guys know who he is. Bill Patterson is Henry Salt. He's another one of those British character actors that you'll see in tons of stuff. They're awesome, awesome actors, and they never get like that leading role that would cement them for because not pretty enough, right, Hollywood? <laughs> not pretty enough for you to bring them over, right? No. <laughs> you can be a character actor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Peter Jeffrey is the Sultan, and he's another guy who did a lot of TV and and, and uh, theater work in England. Uh, Uma Thurman as Venus slash Rose. Hey, Steve. Yeah. How old was Uma Thurman when she showed off her boobs in this movie, oh, huh, Steve? I, How old was she? Not very old. Well, she was 17 when the movie was released, so she must have been about 16 when she filmed this. I hope somebody has some paperwork on that. Well, 16 is okay in England. <laughs> oh, okay. That's how they got away with her being completely nude and dangerous liaisons. <laughs> I'm not making any comment. It's bad. You're bad. Is 1980s, everyone, you're bad. Is everyone okay with this? We're okay with this, right? This is right. So, so long as you can make pretend that she's over the age of 18, great. Yeah. But uh, come on. She's, she's probably, what, 25? Come on. <laughs> Allison Stedman as Daisy. Ray Cooper as Functionary. Don Henderson as Commander. Robin Williams, who went by the, who's credited in the titles as Ray DiTuto, <laughs> as the King of the Moon. <sighs> it's basically Robin Williams as himself. Yeah, it's Robin yeah. Williams get, getting to play two versions of himself. Yeah. Um, Sting as a yeah. heroic officer. Yay! <laughs> the perfect role for Sting. He has almost no lines. He just has to. Yes, sir. He just has to stand there and look good. Uh huh. Sting can handle that. <laughs> Andrew McCullen as Colonel. Uh, Josh Lefante as Doctor Death. You know, there's a Doctor Death in this. Yeah, I know. He's a doctor that turns into death. Spoilers <laughs> for the end. <laughs> <laughs> Mohammed Bar Salam as the executioner and Kieran Shaw as the executioner's assistant. Music by Michael Kamen. Now we've discussed Michael Kamen's work prior in other movies like The Iron Giant, but he's also done Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, and Just for Steve. Roadhouse. <sighs> Roadhouse. Cinematography by Giuseppe Rotuno, uh, who is a renowned director of photography. Um, he did mostly Italian movies, and he was the first Italian cinematographer to be led into the American Legion of Cinematography. I don't know what the name of the group is. The national group of guys who set up shots. I don't know. I can't remember. I didn't write it down, Steve. He broke the... Uh, it's not the glass ceiling. It's made of Italian ice, but he broke through the ceiling. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's that's what he did. Edited by Peter <laughs> Hollywood. Go to hell, Peter. What are you doing? Oh, you know, Seriously, don't you, Peter? Don't you think with a name like that, he should be the head of a studio or something? <laughs> I'm Peter Hollywood. He's I mean, Welcome. come on. <laughs> Production company Allied Filmmakers, Laura Film, and Prominent Features. Distributed by Columbia Pictures. Release date, March 10th, 1989 in the United States. Running time, 126 minutes. Budget, $46 million. Adjusted for inflation, $95 million. Box office... million dollars! Ouch. Or 16 million. Now, in its defense, Columbia kind of went, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) 
we're sure not we'll advertising this. <laughs> we're not advertising it. We're not releasing it wide. Go to hell. We don't care. We're <laughs> we, done. <laughs> we will fulfill the technical requirements of our side of the contract. And that's, that's right. It. We'll make a a tra- We'll make a, a a preview that has nothing to do with the movie, and that's all we're doing. God, where did our money go? <laughs> I'm kind of curious as to how this did not end Gilliam's career. Yeah, Be- yeah. Because people continued to give him money. And I think it has a lot to do with no one knew how to deal with him to rein in his spending. There is a way to communicate yeah. with him by getting him to sign contracts so that he would be able to turn in a movie under budget and on time. Now, you've seen the movie, Steve, right? Yes. And you're pretty sure that that is the vision that the director wanted, right? I would say it's probably pretty close, yeah. Did, did anyone ever think that they would get that movie on the screen under budget? <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine uh, how they could have, no. Unless they were going to shoot it uh, with Legos, there was no way. Uh, the things that he wanted on the screen <laughs> I can were going to cost money. I can just imagine a producer reading the script going, and then they go to the moon. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> then wait, okay, wait a minute, and then they fall through the earth <laughs> and get eaten by a sea monster. Uh, it's the size of yes. an island. Uh-huh. Baron Munchausen rides in a circle and creates a, a death carousel <laughs> and starts killing Turks by the dozen. <laughs> and how how many heads are lopped off in this on this page? <laughs> One, two, I lost, three. I was going to count. I was going to count. I lost count of how many people's heads a, actually got lopped off lot, in this movie. For for such a lighthearted adventure film, lots of beheadings. Oh, that's my favorite thing about Gilliam. <laughs> lots of beheadings. Yeah. There's yeah. so much darkness that you that just you can wash right past. It's like, you wait a minute. What? Because <laughs> yeah, it's handled what so lightly. <laughs> wait a minute. Is the executioner's eyes sewn shut? What? Wait a minute. <laughs> Oh, the ex- executioner's assistant. His pen is, like, tucked into a flap of skin on his forehead. <laughs> <laughs> it's the details. It's the little details. It's the little details. So, Steve. Yes. Are you ready to go on to this adventure with me? <sighs> into the wily world of the adventures of Baron Munchausen? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's, yeah. Yay! Yeah. Let's go! Put put these on. Oh, oh, okay. They're pantaloons. Oh, okay. I guess it's, They yeah, look smart on you. They're period, yeah, okay. That's right. Put this codpiece on. Oh. Put this, this brocaded jacket. That's good. Yes! Okay, yeah. I, put I, on I, these shoes. Good. They're buckled. Okay. I feel great. I feel good. Now put on this top coat. This waistcoat. Uh. This? And this overcoat for the rain, that's good. This is a lot. A cravat. Okay. Shut up. Okay. Uh, a cravat goes on your one hat, a frilly hat. There uh, we go. Is this good? Walking stick. Oh, my God. I feel like there's too many gimmicks to this costume. It's just, <laughs> this is too much. Shut up. Okay, and now sorry. into the world of the adventures of Baron Monkhausen. Steve, take it away. Well, just so we know where we're at, we get some explanatory titles after we fade in to well, number a, one yes we open uh-huh and it says terry gilliam and all that stuff all that stuff to complete quiet no music that's right yeah and just white titles and i can't remember does it say the adventures of Baron monkhausen at the beginning no i don't think we know that i don't it think it doesn't yeah we see the title when we get to the poster yeah 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 so okay so what what's happening? yeah you f- what well f- fade up on this bombed out city and we get a a title that well, says that the te- war yeah yeah it tells us 
because it's the late 18th century. That's right. And then that title fades down, and then another title fades up that informs us that it's the Age of Reason phase. Title fades down. One more title fades up. Wednesday. (laughs) So it's Wednesday during the Age of Reason. And we're seeing a city yeah. being bombed yeah. by oh boy. <laughs> dragon cannons and guys on elephants and guys in turbans. Uh-oh. And guys in... And they're just shooting the shit out of the city. We cut into the city. Yeah. And we have this great pan shot in which we see people huddled inside the interior of a horse's horse head statue that's been blown off, which lies at the base of a very familiar-looking um dude. Could be maybe... Baron Munchausen, but the head's been blown off, huh, <laughs> Yeah, weird. We pan down these leaflets that are all talking about, that say things like, <laughs> how to, tips on how to save food, eat less. Yeah. There's one that says cannibalism across the front of it. <laughs> They're all about how people are starving and how to ration food or right. need food. And we, but we stop on a theater poster, right, Steve? Yeah, and it's it's advertising a show called The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Mm-hmm. And it's being produced by what company? Uh, I forget that it's Salt H Salt and Sun. H Salt and Sun, and then uh, a little girl scratches out the sun and writes daughter. Oh, she takes a little offense at this. Yeah, I go, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, if I was a daughter, yeah, yeah, I'd be like, hey, like, asshole. Dad opened a open a business with you, and it was like shives and daughter and you're like what's that about dad he's like shut up (laughs) who the fuck is daughter dad do we need to have a conversation what else have you been keeping from me (laughs) i wanted a sister growing up why (laughs) is a even my blood type (laughs) what else is there Okay, I didn't mean to uncork this uh, this simmering pot of rage. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I, it's okay. We're watching a happy fun time movie about murder and violence. Come on. <laughs> yes, let's get back into this lighthearted romp of war and yeah, death. Yeah, so uh, everyone's starving. Everybody's yeah. miserable. Yeah. But we go to the theater. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, well, they're putting on a production of Baron Munchausen, and it's not going well. The theater's kind of shot to shit. <laughs> <laughs> and people are forgetting their cues, and, you know, the curtain drops down, and the main dude who's playing Baron Munchausen is like, why weren't there waves when I got on the ship? What the fuck is wrong with you? And they're like, it's not our fault. Bleh. And then he's got to go talk to the right ordinary Horatio Jackson, right? Because he's yeah. at the show. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to apologize to him because there are a bunch of little bumps. <laughs> what's Horatio Jackson like? Um, He's like, he's the ultimate sort of paper-pushing bureaucrat. That's right. You know, and He's and he's very much sort of he's like the embodiment of this movie's version of the like the age of reason. He's just completely joyless. All he cares about is like cold hard facts and you know, yeah. Yeah, and is is he English? He seems to be. Nope, he's French. Is he? <laughs> oh yeah, I guess he's supposed to be French. Yeah. Oh, you are the real Belle Munchausen. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's one of you know. Why? It's the uh, why is he French? <laughs> be, you know, it's yeah. I think it's the same thing there, with this this town. It's they're yeah. sort of doing the same thing that like the old Universal horror movies did, where it's just like generically European. It's generic Europe, yeah, right. Because there are people of all nationalities yeah. throughout the town, 
Anyway, while he's uh, apologizing to the Riot Ordinary Horatio Jackson, they bring in this dude, and it's Sting. Yeah. And they're like, so, you're the hero that did all these heroic stuff. And he's like, yes, sir. And you did all this other heroic stuff, did you? Yes, sir. And you did this heroic thing, too, did you? Yes, sir. What does he say? He's... What does Horatio Jackson say? He says, have him executed. Immediately. <laughs> we don't need why, people why showing Why he do that? He doesn't... Why he do that? Because he wants the soldiers to just follow their orders. Yeah, not he says to it's be disheartening heroic. to the regular, ordinary soldiers. Right, exactly. We can't. <laughs> so you kind of get where he's coming from. Sort of, yeah. He's a he's a bad guy. We're going to kill our war heroes. He's the bureaucrat that Terry Gilliam has made perfectly clear he hates more than any other creature on the planet. Yeah, yeah, and it's hard not to read a little bit into that, isn't it? Where he's like, if you've the, seen, yeah. the main villain of the piece is the guy who is like, you must not be creative and have fun. <laughs> or heroic. Or heroic, or do anything. You must not stand out. Yeah. So they start doing Act 2, where he, the guy's going to talk about the time that he's going to go visit the Turk, and it's coming off as a little bit like a piece of propaganda. And someone sees a poster and don't like the poster. No. And he barges in. And who barges in, Steve? Well, it turns out that it is the real Baron Munchausen. But he's not real. He seems cert- he certainly he's seems real enough. He's just a collection of stories. But he cut- got written down in England, and then they got translated back into German. But he's right there. Oh, well, who else walks in then? If Baron Munchausen is there, who else is there? Hansel and Gretel? Spider-Man. They come in too? Spider-Man? <laughs> Dracula flap in? What's Dracula. going on? Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, I know I'm not I would this. love... <laughs> I would love to make a movie about people who are doing a produ- theater production of Dracula and an aged Dracula barges in and says, Stop it, motherfucker! Oh, holy shit. <laughs> Wait, this didn't happen this way. <laughs> okay, first of all, why would I buy a house in London? It makes no sense. I live in a castle. <laughs> he puts everyone in the audience in his thrall to force them to listen to him. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're, nobody's going anywhere. <laughs> anyway, he gets, he gets up yeah. on stage. Yeah. Declares himself the real Baron Munchausen. Um, and then starts swinging his sword around, cuts off the dude's <laughs> fake nose, yes. br- accidentally brings the curtain down, and while they're fighting in the background, Horatio, the right ordinary Horatio Jackson comes in and says, oh, you're the real... And they don't like each other. No. They don't like each other. He calls everything that Horatio Jackson does is lies and balderdash, right? Yeah. And he's old. Oh, boy. He's old. Yeah, he's quite he's old. An old guy. Mm-hmm. And um, so then they decide to raise the curtain and let let uh, Baron Munchausen talk. He's going to tell a story. <laughs> right, right, right. He's trying to He's correct. He's going to tell him what really happened because he blames himself for the war. Right, yeah, right? exactly. He says, I caused this war and I'm the only one that can f- finish it. And Rachel Jackson's like, you're a lunatic. And he's like, and then he threatens him with a sword, knocks his letters out of his hand and stuff. <laughs> and so he's going to tell a story. And so they push the actors onto the stage <laughs> while he's talking. And then we have a fucking beautiful scene transition. Oh, Don't yeah, mistake. yeah, absolutely. And the camera... <laughs> It kind of goes from uh, just a straight shot of... Where we see an actor and the Baron. Right, you know, and on, on the stage. And then it, it sort of uh, dollies around him. And mm-hmm. when we get behind him, 
we see that he's not in the theater anymore. Now we're actually in the palace of the Sultan. So it's, yeah, it's like a Turkey. It's like a old timey Turkish bath. Yeah. With columns and guards. Yeah. And cherubic women all over the place. Right. Yeah. And some people might think, oh, it's funny. You put fat women in it because it's funny. No, he didn't. He put fat women in it because Terry Gilliam, more than anyone else, understands that the beauty aesthetic has changed over the years. And yes, the, yeah. <laughs> these are the kind of women that people found attractive at one point, one time. At no point does anyone in the movie ever with these, uh, these large women ever look at them with anything other than being attracted to them. Yeah. Right? So take that Hollywood. So take that Hollywood. Choke Fuck on it. you. <laughs> Go fuck yeah. yourself. Anyway, so now we see a younger Baron, yeah, right? Yeah. And we see the High Turk, and they just drank some wine, and the High Turk, well, what do you think of that shit? And he's like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> and the Turk's like, you can't find anything better, that's the best. And he's like, I know the best, it's it's with the Queen, it's with the Empress. Yeah, in Vienna. In Vienna. And I'll bake you a bet, I'll bet you, I'll bet you that I can get a bottle of that from a thousand miles away, here within the hour. And the Turk's like, bullshit. And he's like, I can do it. And he's like, it's a bet. I'll wager my head. You can chop off my head if I if I get this wine. And the Turk's like, fine, deal. <laughs> right? Absolutely. So he writes a letter to the queen and he calls down for who, Steve? For one of his servants, Berthold. Right, Berthold. And Berthold's walking up and he's got these big chain, ball and chains on his legs. Yeah, right? yeah. And he's got some powerful thighs on him. <laughs> yes. Because his, his servants are out in the courtyard playing cards. Right? Yeah. And so Borhol comes up and he says, I need you to take this to the Empress and she will give you a bottle and bring it back and don't drink the fucking thing. Okay? <laughs> and he's like, rightio. And then Berthold takes off his leg irons, jumps three times, and then starts running so fast that he starts tearing up the marble floor. Yeah, yeah, running in place to like building up speed. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then he finally catches and takes off, right? Yep. And he's running super fast, and then the Turk is like, well, we've got an hour. How would you like? <laughs> <laughs> that was weird. Anyway. <laughs> that was weird. Anyway, would you like to hear this opera I've written? <laughs> and he brings out he brings out an organ where well, from the, the front looks like a regular yeah, organ. From the front looks like a regular pipe organ. In the back we can <laughs> see that the sounds are actually made by people held captive inside <laughs> the frame of the organ that are being poked and prodded and tortured and beaten continu- <laughs> depending on what key he presses. So yeah. Right. So he's he plays him a couple of things on a couple of songs. They bring in the executioner who has his <laughs> eyes sewn shut. Um, the the assistant comes up and draws a dotted line on on Bermukhausen, the back of Bermukhausen's <laughs> neck. After a couple of, after realizing what he's listening to, which is also a great shot because he goes from a polite. First of all, he says, "How would you like to listen to my opera?" And he says, "No, thank you." <laughs> he just keeps going straight through it. When he realized that shot of his face going from polite joy to sudden realization is one shot. (laughs) So then he decides he needs to talk to his boys because it's taking um, Berthold too long. Yeah, time's almost up. So he whistles for his horse. Who's his horse? Oh, what's the horse's name? Bocephalus or something? We'll go with those cephalus, fine. Yeah, I. I anyway, yeah. he's got this white horse, and it comes running. Yeah. Yes, yeah. comes running up. 
into the into the baths. Not and a couple of people fall into the baths, <laughs> and he jumps on it and then jumps out the window. <laughs> about I don't know seven floors, maybe more, yeah. eight, nine, probably ten. The horse lands fine, <laughs> and he's like, hey servants where's where's Berthold? they're like i don't know it's like if if he doesn't get back within the hour the sultan will have my head and they're like i don't think that is that funny do you find that funny? <laughs> it's like it's not a joke <laughs> it's a wager <laughs> and now this movie does something that's really neat and that is show everybody what their talents are yeah. without telling anybody what their talents are so Gustavus jumps down to the ground and puts his abnormally large ears to the ground and can hear that he's asleep. Right. How far away? About <laughs> 900 miles away. That's right. And then, um, uh, who's the uh, uh, a, big guy? Oh, the big guy is uh, Albrecht. Albrecht. So Albrecht lifts Adolphus. No, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I'm getting the name. Adolphus so. is the guy with good eyesight. With, with, with awesome eyesight yeah. and carries a sniper gun that apparently can shoot for, I don't know, <laughs> thousands of miles. And he... He throws him up to the top of a wall, and he looks, and he can see him, right? Yeah, and he's he's and he's asleep. He's asleep, and so then Adolphus aims his gun, and it fires show, so the, it knocks him backwards when he shoots it, and he shoots an apple out of the tree that <laughs> bonks Berthold on the head. He wakes up, almost leaves without the wine bottle, and then grabs a wine bottle. Meanwhile, they've led. It's almost time, and they've led. <laughs> They've led Baron Munchausen to his executioning block, which is, has a hand to catch the head, <laughs> which I think is a nice touch. Yeah. I think that's good. Classy. Yeah, it's it's more personal than, a you know, a basket yeah, or whatever. exactly. And just as the executioner is about to cut off his hair and he's bringing down the axe, Bertolt comes running in. <laughs> and we look and we can see the very last um, grain of sand pass through the hourglass. And he's like, he didn't yell at him and say, what the fuck, dude? What did I tell you? <laughs> he was going to cut off my head. He was going to kill me. <laughs> anyway, so the, the high Turk takes a drink of it and he's like, damn, that's good juice. And he's like, I told you. And he says, you win. You win the bet. And what was the, what was the Sultan going to give him if he won the bet? If he, if he won the bet, the agreement was that he could go into the Sultan's vault and walk away with as much as a person could carry. As the strongest this, man. Yeah, yeah, as the strongest man can carry. And, of course, one of his coterie is this ridiculously strong guy. Yes. So they go into the oh. vault and just walk away with everything. With all of it. They walk it's away with all, all of it. all on Albrecht's back. <laughs> and the treasury guy, when he tells him, he comes running in, whispers in his ear. He's like, what? He gets so up. The high turk gets so upset. And in one smooth motion, he just grabs a sword and lops off the treasurer's head, which flies into the air, lands into the lap of one of the cherubic women, and winks at her. Yeah. PG movie! <laughs> Have we fallen this far? <laughs> anyway, so the Turks don't want him leaving with all the money, right? Yeah, which I can understand. So they all start shooting at him and stuff. And again, in another great transition, as they're shooting at him and things are exploding, some of the pieces that are falling in what is the story uh, are obvious set pieces, and it just kind of comes back into where they're back in the theater, and the theater is being bombed. Right, right, right. and all the people in the theater run for their lives. And he's like, wait, stop, there's more. (laughs) I'm not done. Stay here and die. I need to finish my story. 
Anyway, there's a bunch of explosions and stuff, and then the right Horatio, the right ordinary Horatio Jackson, and this is where we find out what the what the uh, stakes were for this theater company, are told, you have until tomorrow morning to get the fuck out. Right. So if they didn't impress him, he was just going to throw him over the wall to the turn. Yeah. <laughs> yep. This upsets the theater owner a little bit, but Sally goes wandering through the rubble of the theater, and she finds, uh... Well, she finds something different, don't you, Steve? <laughs> well, she... Yeah, she finds the Baron, who is who has been knocked, knocked to the ground, and, yeah. and hovering over the Baron is the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> is it one of those fun, accessible Grim Reapers like in TV shows where they're just people? No, 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 no. He's like a really, really scary skeleton man in a ragged black <laughs> cloak with big black wings. Maybe one of the scariest uh, depictions of the Grim Reaper in the movie. Yeah, yeah. And he looks like he's just about done extracting the Baron's soul when the kid yeah. interrupts him. Yeah. And then she throws a thing, and then the it turn it turns into a prop. Yeah, right? yeah. And then she's like, "Wake up, Baron!" And he's like, "Leave me alone! I want to die! <laughs> I want to die! No one believes in stuff. There's no room for people like me anymore. There's no room for fantasy, you know, neat things and three legged cyclopses and stuff." Yeah. And she's like, "But I want to hear those stories." And he's like, "Yay!" <laughs> <laughs> then I guess I'll live. But then the bombing starts up again, and this really pisses Sally off. <laughs> To the point when she runs up to the wall and starts throwing rocks at her, yeah. <laughs> the, at the soldiers, and he grabs her, pushes her to the side, and says, "What? There's a great line in here where he he says, would you get down? Do you want to be killed?'" And she says, "I thought you wanted to die." And he says, "Well, I'm old enough, <laughs> <laughs> right?" <laughs> And he turns to the soldiers and he says, why don't you shoot back? Why don't you do something? Because they're all just huddled against the wall. Right. They're not doing anything. They're not firing back. And what do they say, Steve? They say, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Because it was established in an earlier scene that the right ordinary uh, Horatio Jackson had made come to some agreement with the Turk that they would not be have hostilities on a Wednesday. Right. And the high Turk does not give a fuck about that. <laughs> <laughs> But rules are rules, and a contract but is a contract. Well, right, at one point, doesn't uh, Horatio Jackson say, I don't know what the Turk is playing at. It's Wednesday. We, we came to an agreement. Yeah, exactly. But uh, Bear Monkhouse is not having that, is he? No, no. He's like, well, I'm going to fight back. So, so he, he picks up a cannonball, a bomb. Yeah, it's a bomb. Yeah. It's not a cannonball. That has uh, handles on it, thankfully. <laughs> Those become important. Because as soon as he puts it into the cannon, it explodes, and it shoots the bomb and him over the battlefield, right, Steve? Yeah, and he, he goes flying across the, the space between, I guess, the town and where the Turks' camp is, and he's holding on to this cannonball bomb the whole time. Yeah, and then as he sees the cannonball is starting to descend, he lets go, and then hitches a ride back on incoming fire <laughs> from another cannonball. Yeah. Because this is who this is who Barry Munchausen is. He's like an invulnerable superhero. He's like a god man. There's no way to define who he is. Well, yeah, I mean, he's like he's 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 the hero of tall tales. He's like in America, yes, he's someone exactly. he, in America. It will be something someone like like Paul Bunyan or Pecos Bill. You know, like he's just he does impossible things without explanation because that's just the way the story goes. Only American version of Baron Munchausen, which was stolen directly from Baron Munchausen, was on. I can't remember which show it was on. It wasn't Rocky and Bullwinkle. I think it was the Tennessee Tuxedo Show. They had a character on that show called the Colonel who would tell tall tales about himself. 
himself. Yeah. And like, and that's how I dug the Panama Canal, and that would be the end of it. Anyway, he writes back. And, oh, look. Look who he sees on his journey back. It's the angel of death again. Yeah. Wow. He's got a hard on for the Baron, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. <laughs> Give it a rest. Takes a swing with the scythe and misses. Screams really like, ooh, I'm going to get you. <laughs> I'll get you yet, Baron Munkhausen. The cannibal he rides in comes in and he lands and he says they're planning on storming the gate. And then they get bombed some more and all those soldiers that saw him do the, the amazing thing died. And Sally's like, let's go back. Can we go back to the theater? And everyone's upset because they know they're going to die because they're going to be thrown out. <laughs> And what happens? Well, the Baron says, uh, I can save the city. I can stop the war. Yeah. I started it. I can stop like, it. They're like, well, no, you can't. And he's like, I got a plan and everything. Yeah, give me your I'm underwear. Give me all your underwears. <laughs> give me your underwear now. And they give him, all the ladies give him his underwear. Yeah. And and, and what do they Well, they do what? They just rolls around in it. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. You forgot I wanted to die. Well, this is the way I wanted to do it. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, no, he, do, he does what obviously, <laughs> what anybody would do after they collected underwear from everybody in town. They sewed yes. all the underwear together and made a gigantic hot air balloon. That's right. Obviously. And they took the, the, the ship from the play and they tied it underneath there as a basket. And he climbs up in the thing. Meanwhile, Horatio Jackson's like, I want that theater company out of the, this movie. Go get them. <laughs> get, get rid of them. And em. throw them out of the movie. Yeah. And so the soldiers are coming, and his dog, whose name I completely blanked, um, jumps out of the basket and uh, knocks the soldiers over as he's taking off. And, um, you know, he, he takes off, and he's floating away, and Horatio Jackson sees him, and he, he's like, he won't get very far on Hot Air and Fantasy. And you're like, this is a Carrot Terry Gilliam movie, dummy. <laughs> what do you... He hates you most of all. I, you're, you're... <laughs> I, I bet they do get kind of far. <laughs> and so... Um, he's uh, throwing out ballast, right? Right. <laughs> yes. And someone decided to fill one of the ballast bags with a little girl. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my favorite, like, reveals in the whole movie. He dumps the ballast overboard, and it's Sally in the bag, <laughs> and she just falls out of the ship. And luckily, she gets snagged on the tip of, of one of the anchors, and right. he can pull her up, yeah. Is he happy about her tagging along? Not so much. Not so much. Not so much. But she's going anyway. And now they're floating through the sky. And he tells her what? He says, um, well, he says, we're going to go round up my old servants because with their right. with their abilities, they can help us defeat the Turks. Because and we're the of the Avengers of the 1800s. Pretty, Let's just get... Pretty much. Yeah, pretty <laughs> much. And, uh, and so he's going to go to the last place he remembers seeing Berthold, which is the moon. Oh, the moon. Yeah, we're just going to take their hot air balloon to the moon. Okay, yeah. that's great. Yeah. And then a storm hits, and they get tossed around and a bunch of stuff, and you're like, oh no, the, what's going to happen to them, right? Yeah. And then we have another fucking beautiful transition, where we see the stars. Oh, yeah. And we see the boat, and then we start seeing ripples on the stars, and then the and so we're like, oh, they're on water, and then the water disappears, and they're on sand, and they're on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really well done. It's yeah. so fucking... Uh, yeah, you know what? There's not a drop of CGI in this movie. No. Not a no. drop. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, so what's the deal with the moon, Steve? What's the deal with the moon people? Well, the moon people, the only moon people we actually see are the, are the king and the queen. And the moon people yes. have this weird deal where... What's the king's name? Uh, his Roger. Name, Roger. Yeah, Roger. Roger, the king of the moon. <laughs> uh, and, or, or as he calls himself, Ray de Tuto, king of everything.
everything because he says <laughs> since since the Baron left, he's he's expanded his yeah. empire and now he rules the right. the the known universe. So the the moon people, yeah, they can they can Ariadne, yeah, yeah they can go for well, it. Yeah, yeah, Ariadne is the queen, and they can separate their heads from their bodies. Right. Yeah. So the bodies can go fuck. Right. And the heads can do higher pursuits. Right? Yeah. Exactly. So when we first meet the king, he's just a humongous floating head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first we get to the palace, and the palace is like this weird kind of clockwork toy kind of deal yeah. where there's no people. And then the king shows up, and he's just this giant head, and he's like, hey, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I gotcha. Listen, he's like, I control everything. I. <laughs> he does this great thing where... <laughs> He thinks he's God. Yeah. He thinks he creates everything. He does this weird thing where he starts chirping and he goes, I just created spring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the Baron's adventures are a distraction to him. Right. So what does he decide to do? He Well, he, he puts the Baron and Sally in a humongous cage. Nope, not a cage. First, he, he puts them up with, like, this high, tall pedestal. Oh, that's giant. right. Yeah, he, that's right. He traps them in, like, this model city place that's way up yeah, high. This yeah, this model, like, drawing room yeah. with stuff. But the edge of the drawing room is a straight drop yeah. down, so they would be able to get down. And um, because, I, as we mentioned before, they're giants. Yeah, they're huge. Right? They're, they're huge, huge, giant people. And then the queen comes up, and she's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in love with the Baron. And then, because she comes in being chased by a headless body. <laughs> yes, by the king's body. <laughs> that is trying to fuck her? I think so. Or something. And the the head comes down to gloat some more and then gets grabbed by the body, <laughs> dragged down to the body, and then locked into place because they have these, these big metal discs that lock into place. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, Roger changes a little bit. Yeah, right? apparently the deal is when the head and the body come together, the body kind of takes over control. Yeah, because he becomes he's, like yeah, he's his personality completely changes. Yeah, and he doesn't like the Baron either. No, <laughs> because the Baron ran tried to run off with his wife the last time he was up on the moon, and then he locks them up in a cage. There you go. And yeah. they have like Q powers. Okay? Yeah. They can make things out of anything, and so now they're locked in this gigantic ball cage, and uh, he goes off to go fuck his wife. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> While eating fruit in the most disgusting <laughs> oh my God, way yes, possible. Oh my god, yes, it's disgusting. <laughs> and they're trapped in this cage, and Sally's like, great, thanks, this is great. And he's like, don't worry about it. And they discover someone in the cage, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah, it's Berthold. Oh, they, yeah. they, Berthold. He's looking, Berthold. He's looking a little older. And he doesn't remember anything. No, no. And he's like, I don't know who you are, and I don't know who I am, but I must be a notorious criminal because they locked me in this cage and they put this gigantic shackle on me. Yeah. <laughs> And then the queen shows up. Just her head. Just her head. Yeah, her body is busy. And she's got a key in her mouth. And she's like, hurry up. My body is distracted. And she's making some funny noises, right? Steve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's making some grown-up sex Some Some sex noises. noises. Actually, it, it leads to a really funny payoff where the... Because Sally, her innocent... As an innocent child, says, yeah. well, what, why is she making those noises? And the Baron uh-huh. kind of is like, well, her, uh, her body is... Um, Getting her feet tickled. Right. And we all think, oh, it's just a euphemism to spare the, yeah. the innocence of the child. The kid. Yeah. And she's like, climb into my hair. And her head is kind of like, it has like a viola on the top of yeah, it. Yeah, they both do. They both have like, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. 
and they climb into the head, and she floats away because the heads can float. She yeah. floats away to get them to escape, right? Yeah. And she sets them down, and she's like, "Oh, I better hurry before Roger finds out my head is gone." And she's like, "Take a lock of my hair, and can I come with you?" And he's like, "Well, what about your body?" And she's like, "I thought you loved me for my mind." <laughs> She realizes that it wouldn't work out between the two of them. And meanwhile, we cut to Roger and her in bed. <laughs> and we're like, we don't need... That's okay, Terry. It's okay. <laughs> but then it turns out to be a joke. Because why? <laughs> it turns out he's actually tickling her feet. Right. That's what he's doing. Yeah. But uh-oh. He realizes that her head's gone. Yeah. And he has he and, has a really funny line here, which I'm pretty sure is an improv for Robin Williams, where he says, oh, you want to play, you want to play head and seek? <laughs> but then he realizes what that she's with the bear yeah. and he's like i'm gonna kill you <laughs> and he calls for sybil yes and what sybil steve sybil is this three-headed bird dragon beast thing it's got like that back end is like a leopard yeah the front end is like a dragon but it's got three vulture yeah. heads and wings yeah and it can fly and yeah so he sets off on this this beast to catch and kill the Baron. With a giant spear of asparagus. Yes, yes, that's right. So guys, you know how sometimes I complain about how movies aren't imaginative anymore? <laughs> Let me paint you this picture. There is a tremendously huge giant man with a spear of asparagus as a weapon riding a three-headed vul- a three-vulture-headed leopard dragon flying thing. <laughs> oh, and his head comes off every once in a while. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> our trio is running away. He throws the spear of asparagus. Berthold runs into it and it gets knocked out. And they're like, what are we going to do? Because now the now Roger is diving. Yeah, right? yeah. Because he told the heads, you can have the Baron. You can have the bald one. And because you're my favorite, you can have the little <laughs> you're girl. Right, yeah. So he, give, yeah, he gives a different person to each head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so then the they decide to split up and they all run. In, well, the Baron and Sally run in different directions. And the two heads fixate on the ones that they want want to eat and the monster splits into three parts yeah thankfully the monster is filled with clockwork yes yeah it's not like blood and guts (laughs) yeah which would have been awful. Yeah. And the middle part, the part that Roger is on, crashes into the sand and, and kills the body. Yay. And the head comes up and it's like, yay, I'm free. Yeah. I don't need a body. And then what immediately happens after that? He gets an itch yeah. Oh, yeah. on his nose. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then he sneezes away. <laughs> So now they're hiking down to the moon. Now, the moon is a hunter's moon, so it's like the classic moon shape. When you Yeah, the, when, the crescent, yeah. Yeah, when you make moon cookies and you get the crescent. So they're walking down yeah. to the tip, and they're like turning that lock of hair from the giant woman's head into like a rope to climb down to the earth. Right, Steve? Right, yeah, and also Berthold remembers who he is now. Yeah, oh yeah, Berthold yeah. remembers who he is. Yeah. He's a little pissed off briefly about being abandoned there by the Baron, <laughs> but then he gets over it really fast. <laughs> So now they're climbing down the rope, right, Steve? Yeah, they're climbing they're like, down the rope to the earth, mm-hmm. but they, they get... Berthold is going first, so he gets to the end of it, and he's like, uh, there's no more rope. Mm-hmm. And then and the Baron hands him down, like, another length of rope, and he's like, yeah. here, just tie this to the end and keep going. Right. And he's like, where the fuck did you get this? Uh-huh. And the Baron, the Baron says, well, I, I cut it off from the top, obviously. Right. <laughs> and Berthold goes along with it for a little while. He's like, that's why he's the Baron, and I'm just a pro. <laughs> <laughs> but once he realizes that that don't work, they go falling, right? Yeah, it's cartoon logic. Yep. 
Once and you they, realize your predicament, you fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they fall into a volcano, and the they say the warm air of the volcano the, prevented them from hitting so hard that they die. Right. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. And then they're surrounded by giants again. There's like a big hairy guy that's a giant, and a whole bunch of other guys that kind of look like coal miners that are giants. Yeah. And he's like, "You've landed in the wrong place. We're all giants here." And he's like, "Oh." And then the, he reaches down his arm and pulls him up, and they're not giants at all. <laughs> yeah, fact, they're all the same size. The Baron is much taller than all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and who do we meet, Steve? Well, it turns out this volcano and this place is the domain of the god Vulcan. Oh, well, yeah. that's interesting. And yeah. he has his Cyclops workers, right? Yeah. And he's like, come on, let me give you a nickel tour. And he's walking through and he's yelling at his workers. <laughs> Telling him to get back to work and meet quotas, and it used to be the people used to pay him odd every thousand years, and he's got a bunch of complaints about production. And then they walk past a gigantic thing, a big thing, and they go, "What's that?" And he says, "Oh, that's an intercontinental intercontinental ballistic missile." <laughs> and they're like, "What's that for?" And he's like, "Well, it kills the enemy, all the enemy, and their farms, and the <laughs> families, and, and their everything. dogs, like everything, their yeah. dogs." All with the press of a button, and they're like, well, what's the fun in that? <laughs> right, and he says, well, because you can launch it from thousands of miles away from the battlefield. And you never so have to see anybody die. <laughs> you don't ever have to see anybody die, and we're like, ah, social commentary. I've never heard it surmised as well as that. No, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's hard to argue with when you put it that way. <laughs> Anyway, he's like, why don't you come have a cup of tea? It's been a long time since we've had company. <coughs> and so they're sitting in this really, very nice room. Yeah. Um, drinking from teeny tiny little cups. Yeah. <laughs> because being giants is very important to all of them. Yes, yes. And they're drinking Nectar of the Gods. And he's like, you can stay for as long as you want. But Sally's like, we got to hurry up and far to dar to dar. we got to go. And he calls for the pedophores, and someone comes in to, 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 to bring the pedophores. And who is that, Steve? It's Albrecht, the strong Albrecht. guy. Yeah. And they're like, Albrecht! And he's like, don't call me that. Don't call me that. So yeah, after, at first he denies that he, sold, he spent all the money from the Turk. <laughs> then he says, I had a, he had a self-discovery that he doesn't want to be big and strong, that he wants to be small and dainty. They call me Midget here. I right. love it. It's bliss. <laughs> <laughs> Even though, again, he is clearly larger. He's than bigger all of them. than everybody yeah. there. <laughs> and just before they can get into that argument, someone shows up, Steve. Yeah, a big uh, clamshell bursts out of the floor. Yep. And opens up, and yeah. inside is Venus, the goddess Venus. Or a naked 16-year-old. A naked 16-year-old girl who is who is clothed, you know, pretty soon. But yeah, she's well, naked yeah, for a little right while. Not right then. She's barely covering up. Yeah, and then, some, and then and then two other women show up and they, you know, they put some gauze on her. And they're like, okay, it's that's the, good it's enough. The, remember, it's the, it's the, the cherubs. The little yeah, flying that's baby it. cherubs. <laughs> yeah, sure. They, 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 you know, the, the Roman mythology shit, you know. Yeah, who dat? Yeah. Who that, is yeah, that? Well, and it, it's Venus. She is Vulcan's wife. Mm-hmm. And he's like... Actually, I love the way he says it. My wife! Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And he wants to impress the guests and impress her, and he takes a piece of coal and he crushes it like Superman into a diamond. Yeah. And she thanks him. What? I just, yeah, Then she and she she hands it off to one of her, you know, valets, and they just kind of toss it into a pile. She's she's like, like, oh, a diamond, great. 
But uh, Baron, the Baron is a little spin. She's a little spin. Yeah. He's got a big boner. He's got a big yeah. boner. Yeah, yeah. And he's very complimentary. He says that she's more beautiful than the uh, who the. Oh, then Catherine the Great. Then Catherine the Great, who he had the honor of declining the hand of marriage to. <laughs> yeah, well, he says that two or three times in the movie. That's like that's like he his does. go-to line to impress women. Like, uh-huh. As beautiful as Catherine the Great, whose he hand in marriage a, I had the honor to decline. He always has a fresh rose in his coat. Yeah. He ha- no matter who it is, he always has a fresh rose for someone. And um, she's like, you want to fuck? I mean, dance? You want to go and dance? And he's like, yes. Sure. And he says, come and see the Falcon's like, come and see the ballroom. Yeah. This is playing the grudging host. I love this performance so fucking much. (laughs) So they go into the ballroom and they start dancing and they start floating up in the air for magic times because he's like. And also, by the way, we forgot to mention his age keeps he gets younger and older all the time. Yeah. The more he's involved in his adventures, he, he starts becoming younger. And right. the more he's starting to feel his age, he becomes old again. He's very young in this scene. Yeah, yeah. I think this Meanwhile, is probably as young as we ever see him, because his hair isn't gray at all. And No. Yeah. And as they're dancing around, the Vulcan's like, nice, isn't it? We just had it done. <laughs> so they know that Vulcan's probably about to kill the Baron, so they try to distract him with Berthold dancing, which doesn't really help. No, doesn't work. <laughs> and meanwhile, Sally's like, what about the town? And the Baron's like, the town's perfectly fine. We cut to the town. The town is not perfectly fine. <laughs> the barbarians are at the gates, so to speak. The barbarians are literally at the gates. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he kisses her. Yeah. And someone don't like that. No, Vulcan doesn't like that. He's like, oi! <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and he pulls he pulls the burn down, grabs him, and throws him into a giant toilet. Yeah, basically. And throws everybody into the good the little girl, everyone, and then uh, Al, uh, Albrecht grabs like a trailing piece that's flowing down the toilet, and he gets sucked in there too, right? Yeah. And then um, Vulcan has to get calmed down. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> and then we cut to them and they fall all the way through the earth and come up in the ocean on the other side of the world. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what happens. And they're floating around and they, they think they see an island, right, Steve? Yeah, but that ain't no island. Is it a space station? <laughs> That's no island. <laughs> no, it's it's a sea monster. Like a good old-fashioned sea monster like you see in all those old-timey maps? It's kind of like a big... Ugly, angry Like fish. ugly, like, like Godzilla head-having sea monster. <laughs> it's like a big floating Godzilla head. It's like, yeah, it's like it's yeah. this big ugly fish head. Yeah, yeah. And it swallows them whole. And now we're inside of the monster, right? Yeah. And they're all alone. They get digested, then they die. The end. Yep. End of movie. Thanks for coming, everybody. <laughs> no, they, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of ships that the monster has swallowed. Oh, okay. And and they find themselves on board one of these ships, and they go inside, and there's a bunch of people in inside the the ship just sitting around a table playing cards. Oh yeah, and who's one of the people playing cards? Oh uh, well, it's the two of the people are uh, Gustavus, oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the guy with the good hearing, and Adolphus, the guy with who is the sharpshooter. And Gustavus is kind of deaf now. Yeah, yeah. And, and Adolphus can't really see so well. Yeah, he can't see it anymore. <laughs> And they say, come on, sit down, play cards, we're all dead, right? Yeah, they say, I think Gustavus says, this is hell. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, and the other one says, it's heaven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. 
And they start sitting down and they're playing cards. And Sally's like, we really got to go. And he's like, leave me alone. Because he's all old and he was so happy with with, with Venus. And um, they're, they're throwing out the cards. And that's when Sally notices something about the dealer of the cards. Right, Steve? Yeah, it's uh, the angel of death. <laughs> Boy, he just does not give up, does he? No, he doesn't. He's determined. So what happens, Steve? Uh, doesn't the uh, the horse shows up? Yeah, the horse right? shows up. The horse kicks comes in the door and goes, "Bam, motherfuckers!" Yeah, he's like, "All right, come on, enough. Let's go." <laughs> you guys might have gotten old, but for some reason, I'm still alive and young. I'm a horse. I know my lifespan isn't as long as yours, but I'm alive and I look great. <laughs> so let's go. And so what, how are they going to get out of the fish? Well, it's they do what is, it's a callback to the play that we saw at the beginning. Right. Because one of the, one of the things we saw in the play is the, the fake Varen Munchausen escapes from the fish by blowing some snuff and the fish sneezes him out. So that is right. what the real Baron Munchausen does here. He pulls out a snuff box and he blows some snuff out the window of the ship and yep. they all get sneezed out through the blowhole. Yay! And where are they now? They're right outside the town. <laughs> cool. And they have this great scene where they're planning on what they're going to do, right? Yeah. And I love the fact that the, the horse is sitting there. I just, yeah, it's the horse is it. sitting like a dog, just like listening. <laughs> okay, I got it. Anyway, so he's like, okay, let's go. But the guys are all old. So yeah, they're like, like we they're can't do this old. stuff anymore. We can't do this anymore. They're old. They can't do it. And Baron Monkhausen is like, fine. Look, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to die. And the only way that that can happen is unless you guys do something. Jeez. And he stomps off, right? Yeah, that's his That's his master plan. Guilt trip my friends into helping me. That's right. Because <laughs> he has confidence in them. Right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. They don't have it in themselves. So he goes in, he finds the Turk. And who's the Turk talking to? Oh, he's talking to uh, the right ordinary what's-his-face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is the Turk taking anything that uh, Horatio Jackson is saying seriously? <laughs> Doesn't seem to be, no. Nope. <laughs> no, because apparently they're working out it they're they're working out whose turn it is to win because they have like an agreement of, okay, well you'll beat us today and then we'll beat you next time and the Turk right. is just sort of like, No, but we're winning, so we're just gonna yeah, go with that. We're fine. We're good. Thanks. And then Baron Monkhausen comes in and says, Chop off my head, I don't need it no more and the Turk's like, You got it. No oh, right. <laughs> So they send him out. They got the, the hand thing, chopping yep. block, and they got the guy whose eyes are stitched up because they didn't age. And they got the, <laughs> the assistant. He didn't age. The Turk didn't age either. Nobody aged. Only the, the heroes aged. And once again, we're about to get said chopped off. He sees that the women from the guy's harem is, are crying <laughs> because the implication is, is that he slept with all of them. And yeah. just as the guy's about to bring down the axe, what happens, Steve? Uh, the, uh, the, the sharp shooter Adolphus uh, shoots does he shoot does he does he shoot the executioner or does he shoot no. something that like falls on him he shoots the axe blade. yeah he shoots the axe that's it and yeah. it spins off and it chops off the top of the sultan's head and yes. his hair yes <laughs> and they're like yay and that's the baron's cue to hop on his horse and fuck up some shit oh my and god the very yes. first thing he does is he whips out his sword there's a, a line of counselors for the turk and he just rides in front of them and lops off each one of their heads. Yeah, it's yeah. I think you you called it a what did you call it a death carousel earlier? That's... Well, no, the death carousel comes later. Oh, that's right. It yeah, chops yeah. off all of their heads. Yeah. And now we have the big battle scene, right? Yes. So what are some of the things they do? Well, the um the the guy with the good hearing, Gustavus, he also has like super breath. 
Yes. So he can just blow people over from, right. you know, a mile away. So he does that. But then he has to take a breath in again. Right. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, and it sucks he everything. sucking all the soldiers and everything back towards him. <laughs> he gets a handkerchief stuck in his mouth and then he blows back out and then they get blown all the way across the, the battlefield. <laughs> um, there's a sniper that's going to kill uh, the Baron and Adolphus's gun jams and he turns to Berthold and says, run. <laughs> And Berthold goes, right, and he starts running super fast, trips, falls off a cliff, he's dead at the end. <laughs> that isn't yeah. what happens. No, he gets back up. And he starts running, and he's running towards the sniper, then the sniper fires, he has to turn back around. <laughs> yeah. He rush, runs up, tries to grab the bullet, it's too hot. So then he <laughs> runs past the bullet, gets in front of it, picks up uh, some arm armor, holds it up, and the bullet ricochets through the arm armor uh, against 500 other different things and then hits the sniper and he dies. Yeah, and then uh, and the Berthold, like, collapses from the effort right at Baron Monkhausen's feet, and the Baron is like, hey, come on! Like, help yeah. out! What are you Stop <laughs> lying around! Stop lying around! Do I have to do everything? Mm-hmm. And then, then the Baron leads a bunch of horsemen in a circle, an ever-tightening circle, and we're like, how is he going to get out of this? And when his horse gets to the middle of the circle, it just starts spinning around. Yeah. <laughs> and he just starts killing everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. And then Berthold gently blows a mouse towards the elephants. Yeah, scares the elephants. Which terrifies them, and they run away. And uh, their hooks snag the, the uh, high Turk and drag him off. And then... Huprecht uh, drags some anchors out of the water. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because there's a bunch of shipwrecks in the bay. And he uh, spins them around, these whole ships, by their anchor chains. And he lets them go, and they fall on top of the, the, I guess, the retreating Turkish army, and kills a whole bunch more people. Yay! Yay! And the Turks have all run away, and they won. Isn't that more fun than a nuclear missile? It is. It's honest. <laughs> it's it's good, honest killing. Right. You give it, yeah. people a chance to say, fuck this shit, and run away. <laughs> and then you drop a ship on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, uh, they're heroes. Yeah, they get a parade and everything. Yeah, they get a parade, and everyone's happy. Except for one person, right, Steve? Oh, Horatio Jackson. He's not happy. What does Horatio Jackson decide to do? He shoots the Baron. Uh-huh. Yeah. In public. Damn. And uh, what happens to Horatio Jackson? Well, he's on. He's he's crouching behind a gargoyle when he shoots, and after he shoots and hits the bear, and the gargoyle turns out to be the angel of death, and it flies away, <laughs> and it comes to life and flies away. Yep. Now, I know in the comic version of this, Horatio Jackson then falls to his death. That doesn't happen in this one. No, right? no. I don't think so. Nothing happened to the High Turk. No, he nothing just got, happens, yeah. Nothing happens to Horatio Jackson either. Well, you know, you got to save him for the sequel, you know. Yeah, because, yeah, that, that's what he was planning, right, you gotta, Steve? You got to have your villains, you know, Everyone knows Terry Gilliams loves his sequels. Yeah, he, yeah, absolutely. He's a very, he's a tentpole <laughs> filmmaker, you know. So uh, he's lying there, and um, one of the things about Baron Munchausen, both the character from the old stories and in this, is that he hates doctors. Yes. And someone is calling for a doctor, and a doctor comes up, right? Yeah. A very creepy doctor. Yeah. And only Sally knows who it really is, and who is it really? Well, it's it's really the Angel of Death. Yep. And the Angel of Death finally kills Baron yeah. Munchausen. He's like, it's now it's the Angel of Death's time to shine. That's right. Yep. And then they have a big funeral. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and he gets he gets buried and they have like a big statue that says the savior of the city. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's sad. Yeah. And then we hear Baron Monkhausen narrating the story. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and we we cut yeah, back to the theater. We, we cut back to the theater, and everybody's like, "Wait, the fuck? What? What just <laughs> happened? What just happened? You don't have a Thanos gauntlet on. What'd you just do?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he says that was one of the many occasions on which, In I, which met I met my dad. <laughs> oh, okay. And it's quiet outside. Yeah, and they're like, "Bleh." Everyone's kind of confused, and they're like, let's open the gates. And Horatio Jackson does not want the gates open, do they, does he? No, no. He's, in fact, he. they all go marching outside, led by the Baron, and Horatio gets in front of them with some soldiers. And he's like, if you try to open that gate, it's treason, and we'll kill anybody who tries to do it. And does that happen? No. No. No, it doesn't. <laughs> they march to the gates, they open it, and what do they see, Steve? Uh, it's just like it was at the end of the battle. The Turks are gone. The Turks are gone, and everyone's yeah. like, yippee! And uh, the Baron gets on his horse, and he's like, later! <laughs> Bye! And he rides off, and Sally's happy, and everyone's happy, and the dad has made a poster that says H. Salt and daughter. And daughter. Aww. Uh-huh. And he rides up, and there's a shot of him up on a hill with the sun setting behind him, and the horse raises up, and he disappears like a vampire. (laughs) Yeah, he fades away, yeah. The end. The end. So, Steve. Yes, my friend. What did you think about this fantasy adventure? Because I know how much you love fantasy films, Steve. (laughs) This fantasy adventure comedy with so much killing in it. How do you feel? About the adventures of Baron Munchausen. Well, first, let me just clarify. I, it's only high fantasy that I have a problem with. Okay. Like, fantasy when just in watching general. Watching fantasy when you're high? Yeah, exactly. No, like, if, as whoa, long as... The- wait a minute. Why do, why do the hobbits have to leave in the first place, man? Why don't they just stay in the Shire? They don't have to get involved with this shit. Just mellow out, man. <laughs> No, as long as it doesn't have like elves and shit in it, I'm I'm usually okay. okay. But uh, so actually, this it pains me that I can't recommend this movie more than I'm going to recommend it, um, <laughs> because there's so much about this movie that I like. Like it's it's. I wrote in my notes here, just my, my summary is, I wrote uh, charming, incredibly inventive, but just too damn long and uneven. <laughs> yep. um, there are individual parts here that are just brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. just so, so well done. Um, the, the phrase that you hear a lot, and it's usually used, it's used as a criticism, um, especially if you're talking about like a piece of writing, is they'll say something is a bag of ideas. Oh, yeah. If, if it's got a lot of creative stuff in it, but it doesn't really go anywhere, it's not, it doesn't have like a lucid sort of through line for a story, it's a bag of ideas. And this movie is a big, overflowing, overstuffed bag of ideas. Yeah. And they're mostly really great ideas like it's obviously a very loving adaptation of the original Baron Munchausen stories most of the major set pieces in here are taken from the Baron Munchausen stories like them going to the moon and uh there's it's and the the sea monster stuff and um it's and it's obviously been done with a lot of care and a lot of affection and I actually really like this genre you don't see this very much you don't really see movies based on tall tales no but I really like this sort of subgenre of fantasy because it does feel like the you know the you you have permission as a creator to just let your imagination run wild 
um, because there's just enough level of self-awareness to it that you don't you don't feel like you're demanding an explanation for why the Baron can do all of these things. It's understood. Well, this is a fantasy. This is a tall tale. The the fact that he's able to do these things without explanation is part of the deal. Right. You know, it's like it's like demanding to know why the ships can go faster than light in Star Trek. It's like that's not you, you just accept it. It's just part of the genre. Um, How can Falcor fly if he has no wings? Yeah, it's like, dude, just. Like, just go with it. Again, would it kill you to just go with something? Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, so so I, I love all of that. Obviously, Terry Gilliam is a visual genius. Uh, all of his movies are gorgeous to look at, and this one is no exception. And in fact, in many ways, visually, this may be some of his greatest work that he's ever done. Because as you said during our synopsis, like... There's no CGI. All of these are, are practical effects. It's all done with models and with compositing and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it, uh, yes, it all looks completely fake. But, oh, that's, yeah. but that's the point. Like, you're not supposed to believe they're really on the literal moon. You no. know, it's a, it's a fantasy version of the moon. It's, it's the moon from Jules Verne and Georges Méliès. It's, it's, you know, and again, I love that. I, I, that's one of yeah. the, you know, we, because the moon has become a, a physical location to us now, we think of the moon and, and how it really is in literal terms. But for generations before anybody visited the moon or knew what it really looked like up close, there were these wonderful fantasy had- versions of the mm-hmm. moon. Exactly. There are lots of fantasies out there that oh. just would create whole different ideas of what the moon was. Yeah. And, and this one is the most unique version of the moon I've seen in film. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. And and again, that's one of those things that we mentioned at the, at the top of the show. Like part of that was due to budget constraints. The reason why like the 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 palace that they that they find at the beginning looks like just flat scene backdrops is because yeah. that's that's all they had. They they didn't mm-hmm. have budget to do like anything more extravagant, so they just worked with what they had, and it works. They made a really really great sequence out of that. Yeah, they did. Um, and there's other moments in the movie that are like that as well. And so uh, visually, it's just amazing. The performances from everybody are great, uh, which really helps when scenes start to meander and kind of yeah. get lost, which happens a lot, unfortunately. But you know. John John Neville is always just right there as as Munchausen. The, the supporting cast is always like right there. I mean, Oliver Reed is so good as Vulcan that e- <laughs> even when you can kind of feel like because there's some of those Vulcan scenes, it feels like the scene just kind of gets away from them in terms of the writing. Yeah. It's it's yeah. like wait, what? Where's this going? What is this? And but but because Reed is so there <laughs> as Vulcan and mm-hmm. has such a grasp on who this character is and what his deal is, like he he holds it down, you know. And uh, a lot of the the actors are like. Like that so it pains me to say that i just can't quite bring myself to recommend it because it's just it's just too long and it's too uneven i mean the they the individual pieces are are, are a, a joy to behold the transitions as we said during the 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 summary are so well done there's individual shots in here that are just gorgeous but looking at it as as a whole as a movie as a story there it just it's just it doesn't quite make it. It doesn't quite succeed as a story. There's so much here that I like, and I feel like if it had been better edited, if it had, if if both the the, the film itself, its total running time, and also just individual scenes had been tightened up a bit, that it would probably be more to my liking. Um, so I have to say, I, I, I give it a marginal not recommend, uh, but with a great deal of affection. It's something that, uh, <laughs> that I call, it, 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 if you force me to say it, I'll say, I guess I would have to call it a failure, but it's, it's hard to think of 
another movie that I would call a failure that I have liked as much as this one. It's, it's such a likable, <laughs> fun movie. So there you go. All right. It's over. <laughs> We're done. That was the bridge too far. I don't care. Everything that Steve said is true. It's absolutely true. So let's start with Terry Gilliam. He made three films in the 1980s. They're his trilogy of imagination. Okay. The first film is Time Bandits. It's about a small child and the differences between discerning what between reality and fi- and between reality and fantasy. And that one, it's a tar- time travel thing that involves God and a realm of. It's very similar to this one in many respects. A lot of different scenes, a lot of different locations, but he's exploring the same thing. But in the first movie, Time Bandits is about squaring what you believe against the reality of things. His that kid in that movie goes back in time. Finds out the truth about Robin Hood. Finds out the truth about a lot of people about Napoleon because that's who the kid was kind of idolizing at the time. Right. And then he meets um, not Agamemnon. No, it's yeah, Sean Connery character. I can't remember. I think he's oh, playing yeah, Agamemnon. Yeah. And he finds out that he's not who he thought he was, and he was okay with that. There's a lot of that kind of commentary about disillusionment and being okay with disillusionment when you find out how the world is actually working, and it's done in this kind of fantasy thing. Brazil is about being an adult and living in an adult world. <laughs> Yeah. And about how sometimes escaping from fantasy is the only option that you have from the unceasing misery and bureaucracy that you're surrounded by every day. This movie is about being old and doing the same thing where, and he couldn't have picked a better character, where you have been reduced to the stories you tell about yourself. And that is who Baron Munchausen is. That's the whole thread of this movie, is that this is a story that he's telling about himself, about all this stuff. And him having to come with the come to the grips that not only is he old, but his companion companions are old and most people don't believe that they did any of the things that they did now maybe this is this viewing this time impacted me a lot more than when i first saw it when it was first in theaters because i'm going to be 50 this year guys and i can see the end as you get older you stop talking about the future and you start talking more about the past and that's who baron munchausen is he's a man who is defined by what he used to do and about him having going on this adventure proving that he still has worth proving that you know maybe his stories were true right yeah maybe he can do these things and the power in that and getting other people to to think maybe we can do something as opposed to this kind of cold bureaucratic insane way of looking at things because no one else was playing by their rules (laughs) not the turks not anybody right right i love the fact that the the other lead in this is a girl a little girl yeah who has her own stuff she halfway believes a lot of the things that are going on around her there's a great scene with the snuff where he he sprinkles the snuff inside the sea monster and everyone does this exaggerating you know plugging their nose and holding their (laughs) breath and she just kind of half-heartedly looks around like they're all insane and just kind of puts her (laughs) hand over her nose. But she's also the driving force to keep the thing moving. He only becomes interested because she's interested in his stories. He only becomes engaged because he continues. They have a very interesting relationship between a very old man and a young kid. And I'm sorry, we don't get that anymore. Do we get any movies where there's old people as the lead? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) You're lucky if you get a movie where there's old people in it, period. (laughs) Exactly. 
I love Terry Gilliam because he casts unconventionally. He does, when he thinks that there is something funny in history and he's doing a historical piece, he'll put it in the goddamn movie. If he realizes that people don't understand certain cultures, he'll put it in the movie. And people will then ask him, why did you put so many fat ladies in the harem? How come they weren't skinny and beautiful? And he's like, have you even looked at an old painting? Have you ever done anything <laughs> outside of what, outside of your culture? He's like, no, that's what they, he, you know, he's doing it because it's kind of authentic. And he's also doing it because no one else is fucking doing it. It had yeah. any other director been given this movie. Number one. Hollywood was never going to do this again, okay? They just weren't. <laughs> but if they had gone to any other director and said, made this movie, all the women in the Turkish bash bathhouse would have been, you know, gorgeous. They would have cast a young man instead oh, of an old man. Definitely. To play the lead. Um, and it would just would have been a mess. They would have changed a whole bunch of stuff. There wouldn't have been the, the, the whole ending, which I think is beautiful, about the fact that the everyone, because there's a brief shot where he kind of reveals his hand. As they're being bombed, he says, wait, wait. And you see the group of people turn. It's at that moment that he continues his story. And they sit there in the theater and listen to him. But as far as we can see, it continues. they all leave. It continues to get bombed and all that other stuff. Right. I love the ending of this movie because it has. It says a lot. I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller at heart. I believe in narrative. And the overall message of this is you can engage people with narrative. You can get them to change the way they think about things. You can make them braver than they are, smarter than they are. In the end, who eventually overcomes the bureaucrats? It's not just Baron Munchausen. It's everybody that's in the theater and eventually the entire town. Yeah. I know that's very heavy-handed, but I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't care. I love the themes, and I love what the, what the story is trying to tell. And then on top of that, it's a fucking gloriously beautiful movie. <laughs> you never look at a single shot of this and go, I don't know where the money went. I don't know oh. why this cost this much money. <laughs> you see every fucking dime that's on the screen. And the stuff where they didn't have enough money to do something, they made it work so that it would still fit within the movie. They didn't just cut it for time or do anything like that. They, they did other things that were cheaper to get it up there. So while I, I get what Steve says, because Steve, I think, has a tiny bladder and he can't watch anything that's longer than two hours. <laughs> unless, unless, of course, it's by certain directors. That's true. I get what Steve's saying. It's a little too long, and I understand what his problems with it. There's a lot of problems with this movie. I don't understand a word that Ubrecht says. I've seen this movie I don't know how many times. <laughs> but his first monologue, I didn't realize, was howlingly funny until I'd seen it like the fifth time and had the and had the subtitles on. And I was like, oh, that's what he's saying? That's hilarious. But the guy they, ha they, the guy they hired wasn't that great of an actor. He was still a good actor. His facial expressions were great. Yeah. But he just didn't. He had a, he had a very thick accent. Let's put it that way. Um, there's some icky things in here. We we don't really call them Turks anymore, do we? <laughs> no, no, not necessarily the best way to respond. Yeah, to yeah. but but I will say this: the High Turk. There is some little jabs in England with the High Turk. Yeah, because he says, "Oh, let me play you this piece. It reminds me of my days at school in England." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a high fantasy kind of Turk. You have to understand what he's pulling from, right? right? What he's drawing from. The stories of, you know, the Turks. They make it very clear that this is a result of a bad wager between Baron Munchausen and, and, and the High Turk. 
He also goes out of his way to let you know, hey, this movie's fake. We've said it like three times this year. This is the third time. He is not pretending that what he's putting up on screen is real. So you should not have that. You should not. He's saying, please watch this movie for the themes. Don't say, well, you know, the Turks never had dragon cannons. Right. And they didn't have elephants. And I don't know what city that is. You're not supposed to be watching it doing that. You have missed the point. Congratulations. It's like asking what country they're in in Brazil. What country is that supposed to be? I want to know everything about this country. This high fantasy... (laughs) You know, this story... uh, uh, You know, this 1984... uh, This topic... My mouth is gone. What is it? When you do something in the future and it's all bleak and horrible. Yeah, dystopian? A dystopia, thank you. I kept wanting to say Dinotopia. It's horrible <laughs> Dinotopia. Man, if Terry Gilliam directed a Dinotopia movie. <laughs> but I think that's one of the things that one of the reasons why I like Terry Gilliam is he makes these gorgeous films that sometimes look expensive but aren't. They're highly imaginative, way fucking more imaginative than anything that's being produced now. And he's less interested in doing absolutely everything. I'm waiting for Don Quixote. I have been waiting yeah. for Don Quixote now for a very long well, time. <laughs> so he's, is Terry Gilliam. And that is a match made in fucking heaven. Yeah. Because he's explore, he's been exploring this theme for a very long time. And it's a theme that I appreciate. It's one that I like. The the, the whole idea. Because I'm, I'm someone who lives in my imagination a lot. And sometimes it spills out all over the internet. <laughs> or all over stages. Or, yeah. you know, whatever I'm working on. So, yeah, I love it. I don't care what Steve says. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I, I, I'm glad he didn't like it. It gave us, it gave us two, <laughs> two points. If he had come in and said, this is now my favorite movie. And I he mean, comes and he rips up his 2001 poster. <laughs> I've been living a lie. <laughs> I know how you meant that, but I love the way it came out. Like, I'm glad he didn't like it. Like, <laughs> no, like, I didn't like mean it be- that I know, way. I know. I know you didn't mean it that way, but it just sounds like like just this resentful sort of like, you know what? Good. Yeah. I didn't want yeah. you to like it. And maybe it won't be your cup of tea or maybe it wasn't your cup of tea if you watched it before the review. That's fine. That's fine. It's, it's you know, more for me. It's more. It makes it more my movie. <laughs> <laughs> no one understands. That's you know. right. Jason won't yeah. hold it against you for not liking no. it. Like I hold no, it against I, you for I not liking it. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I understand why you don't. I get it. I understand. And again, it's, it's a hard sell. And well, and again, it's I mean, it's a I I really really liked it. Mm-hmm. Like I I have such affection for it. I wish that I could honestly say You wish it was better. I wish, wish it, was it was better. Shorter. I wish it was I mean, better. it yeah. takes them an hour to get in that fucking balloon, guys. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. But and yeah. The, the weird thing is is that it's not like there are long draggy parts of it, right? Right. I think it could have it could have used the tightening in the editing. I think. Yes. I think that's one of the that's one of my biggest problems with it. Is like there's individual scenes just they feel like they just reel out for too long. Yeah. Right. But if you want to watch a high fantasy movie that has a message to it and you like and the characters are fun, yeah. 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 So I recommend it. And now Steve, yes. time for you to not recommend something, or no, recommend, yeah, recommend something, something while I go to the PP. I'll oh, be right back. Oh boy, okay. I actually have to leave the new garage where I record this. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. <laughs> A little peek behind the scenes for you listeners. Okay, so I had a lot of trouble figuring out 
what movie to recommend for this. So I decided because this is the second of our birthday shows. It's me and Jason's birthday month. Even though this is technically Jason's birthday show and we reviewed his movie, I felt like I couldn't end our birthday month this year without recommending, I think for the first time, and correct me if I'm wrong, anybody out there listening, if, if I haven't, if I have recommended this movie before, it's possible that I have and I just forgot. But I don't think I've recommended this movie before. And this movie happens to be my favorite movie ever. And it doesn't have a lot in common with The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, except that both movies are uh, driven by imagination. Both movies are fantasies that sort of throw off the laws of physics and the, the limitations of the real world to go create beautiful images and awesome set pieces. So they have that in common. Um, and just as much as, as Jason loves The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, I love this movie. And the, the movie I am recommending this time, my favorite movie ever, from 1924, uh, directed by and starring Buster Keaton, Sherlock Jr. It's my favorite movie ever. It is the story of a projectionist who works at a movie theater who dreams of being a detective and then one day at work he falls asleep and he dreams himself being a detective and he dreams himself into the movie that he is projecting to the theater goers. And uh, so that's that's sort of like the... Uh, that's the justification for the fantasy elements, just as Baron Munchausen uh, uses the fact that it's a tall tale to explain or to justify why all the fantastic things are happening uh, in, in this movie. It's because it's, it's all, it all takes place in a dream. You just got back from the bathroom. I recommended Sherlock Jr., my favorite movie ever. Oh, of course. Um, thank you for your support. What? <laughs> thank you for your support. Um, well, no, I hear, guys, I... Okay. I know how much he loves this movie, and we're going to do it, but it's a short movie, isn't yeah, it? it, it yeah, I, I was just going to get to that. It's it's less than an hour long. Um, we Yeah, well, maybe we'll do, it, we'll do a full show about it at some point, maybe for my birthday show one day. We're going to have to do but, a Buster Keaton show. Oh, that would be great. But uh, yeah, so Sherlock Jr., it's because most of it takes place in a dream, you have the same sort of light touch of you know breaking the bonds of reality. Lots of things happen that could not happen in real life because it's a dream, just like we see the, the fantasy in Baron Munchausen. And it's just, it's about 50 minutes long, and it's just a pure delight from beginning to end. It's just a, a series of, of inventions and, and creative set pieces and hilarious visual gags. And it does have this little thread of, of heart underneath it, because in, as is the case in most of Buster Keaton's movies, uh, there's a girl that he is in love with that he's trying to win yeah. over. And uh, it's just a really perfect, sweet little gem of a movie. And... Uh, that's my my recommendation. That is my my belated birthday Good present to myself. Good Steve. <laughs> there you go, Sherlock Junior. Yay! Well, as you guys know, I like to do uh, recommend a movie, or not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just watched. And I, oh Jesus! <laughs> so I wanted to use a movie that perhaps would shed some light as to why Baron Munchausen made such an impact on me. I was working in a movie theater at the time, so lots of movies came into the movie theater. I was lucky to be working in one of the movie theaters where Baron Munchausen was playing, and I watched it I don't know how many times, right? <laughs> I, I loved it. There's another movie playing in the movie theater, and maybe I gravitated towards this kind of beautiful fantasy movie with a message because it seemed like almost all the other movies were like the one that I'm about to not recommend. Oh, boy. This kind of gross 
money-driven, ex- exploitative movie that no thought was put into, that, that basically took two good actors and ruined them in this film right before they died. Oh, wow. <sighs> and it was a movie that was made for, I don't know, 12-year-old girls? I don't know who managed to sit through it. Thankfully, this was a bomb, too. But if you <laughs> see it and you go, I'm going to watch this because it's going to be funny. Don't. It's not. Movie I'm going to tell you not to watch. And in fact, if you see it in the store, burn it. Burn it if you see it. If you're at Walmart and you're there, just burn it. Just, you know, it'll be fine. No one will care. It'll probably be like five cents. The movie I'm telling you not to see stars Corey Feldman and Corey Haim. Uh-oh. And Jason Robards. Uh-oh. And Piper Laurie. Whew. And it's a hilarious teen body switch movie because those are great, right? Dream a little dream. Where someone gets body swapped with an old man, and now he's he's in a young body. Remember all those movies where we're doing that? Well, that's what this is, and it's awful and gross, and I hate it. And I hate, I hate the Corys. I hate you. It's still this hatred will never die. I hated you then, and I hate you now. (laughs) One of them is dead now, right? So good. I think yeah. Corey Haim. I think Corey Feldman's still hanging on. I didn't on, mean that. That's mean. I don't mean it. I know he yeah. struggled. They, he I'm struggled sure he was a very a nice time. boy. I'm sure he was, but they were teenagers. They were making these movies for fucking I don't know who. They're not funny. They're mm. awful people in the movies. Always they're awful people. I hate them. And it was just made to make a quick buck. Well, it didn't make enough of a quick buck. And I think this is the last of the Corey movies, I think. I hope it is. Yeah. I don't know. It might not. But it's called Dream a Little Dream. Don't see it. Don't even think I'll laugh at this. this will be, don't do it. Yo, boy. <laughs> oh, that'll be bad. So that's it. <laughs> hey, Steve. Yeah, man. You know what? I've been reading the comment section. I know you don't, but I've been reading the comment <laughs> section. I don't care what people think of this. I know. I got a bro. Okay. Hey, Steve, did you know that there's a comment section? <gasps> anyway. <laughs> I'm here for me. And yeah. I've been getting emails and stuff all, all these years that we've been doing this show. And yeah. um, something came up the other day and it made me think, you know what? You know what would be nice? What? Is if we let the audience decide what movie we're going to review at some point. Oh, hey, that's a good idea. So I'm putting this out there. Hey, guys, it's me. I control the show. Um, <laughs> I've put Steve in his box now, so I, I can talk to you straight. <laughs> There's nothing I can do about this. If... You are a Patreon supporter. If you are a Patreon patron, please go to Patreon and tell me what movie you would like for us to review, right? That's a great idea. Now, out of the people that contribute movies, if one of them has more than one vote, (laughs) we'll do that movie. If, however, everyone recommends something different, I will take those suggestions and I will put them in a special pile and I will randomly pick the one that we will do. It does not have to conform to our... Our, to our content, the, well, the stupid rules that I made up for the show. <laughs> but the only thing I ask is try to make it something that's had a little bit of legs to it, right? But it doesn't have to necessarily fall into... Okay, fine. You know why I'm doing this? It's because of Dune. It's because all the people talking about <laughs> Dune. Everybody wants us to do Dune. Everybody <laughs> wants us to do Dune. Well, now's your chance. 
Yeah. Now, you don't have to vote for Dune. No, you don't. But you can you if don't. you want to. But you can if you want to. Or if there's another movie that you think we are missing, please send it to us. I will randomly select it. And at a future sh- on a future episode, actually the one after this one, Yay. we will then do that and credit the person that sent it to us. Wow. So please go to Patreon. Leave us your vote. Let us know. You don't have to tell us why. You can just give us the name of the movie and we'll do it. And that way, we'll have dedicate. Because you know what? We, we, we torture ourselves at Valentine's Day. We 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 do a baseball show that's just for us. We do our birthdays for the love of fuck. That's right. We do Halloween and we do a Christmas thing. And now it's time for us to do one for you guys. So this is going to be audience choice. There you go. You guys get a say, and you're going to make us watch a movie, and maybe it's one that we've never seen before, right? It very well could be. Absolutely. I don't need your input anyway. (laughs) I love it. You sit there and shut up. (laughs) You're quiet. I'm making an executive decision. (laughs) Sit there and be quiet until you do your. Little quote gimmick Actually, at the end. The thing is, I don't think Steve would have said, well, I'm not doing that. Well, no. What, let the people decide? Oh, how dare you, sir? Turning it over to the rabble? If it was ever something that I didn't think that Steve would not agree to, I would have talked to him beforehand. And I intended to, actually, but I forgot. That's fine. <laughs> you okay with this? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think but, it's a great idea. Okay, me too. I mean, my, my contempt for the audience is mostly a show. It's all show. Don't, don't <laughs> say mostly. <laughs> what the... <laughs> Come on. It's all a show. I, of course, I love our listeners. Of course. So do I. They're n- the nicest, politest, wonderful listeners. We have an awesome audience, and I'm sure that they'll choose a fascinating film for us to, to talk right. about. Yeah. Thank you. Exactly. But that's for the show after next. Right. Now, Steve has to make a horrible choice. Oh, boy. Okay, Steve, once again, I've picked two movies. Uh, Okay. A or B, you need to select either A or B, and that will be the next movie that we're going to review. B. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, boy. Oh, all right. You've never reacted so, that way before. No. Oh, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, this has kicked me right in the ass. Okay, oh, so. Oh, God. Steve yeah. didn't know what movies he was choosing from. No, I didn't. And um, I don't know why he did this. So, had he picked A, we would have reviewed The Terminator. Ooh. The first Terminator movie. Okay. But Steve didn't do that. No, I didn't. He picked B. And what's B, my friend? So we're going back to David Lean. Oh, boy. Well, I better... To an even longer movie than Lawrence of Arabia. (laughs) I'd better clear out an entire weekend. One of the last of the epics. Ah. That also stars Omar Sharif. Oh, oh, I see. The movie that we're going to review next, and that you guys should go see if you want to get all the jokes... Or find out why Steve and I keep falling asleep during the review. <laughs> is the classic film, Dr. Zhivago. Ah, uh, so so if you want to watch the movie, start watching it now. Yeah, start watching so, it So you can be sure it's over by the time the next episode drops. Yup! And that's it! You've made it through our birthdays! Hooray! Yay. Happy birthday, Steve! Thank you. Happy birthday, Jason. I'm turning 50. Never say happy birthday to me again. Oh, sorry. My condolences. Thank you better! That's better. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Jason Harding for Late Seating, and go see a movie this week. And this is Steve Shives, and everyone who had a talent for it lived happily ever after. 
Except Steve. I didn't have a talent for it. Well, you should have a talent for it. You've watched enough movies. You know how to fabricate a happy ending for yourself. Yeah. Come on, yeah. Steve. Oh, okay. And Steve lived happily ever after, too. Doing what? What were you doing? He sat alone in a room. Come on, let's pretend I, I, like this I, is the end of Animal House, and it freeze frames on you as you're jumping in the air, and you got your hat off, and you're like, woo! And it says down at the bottom, Steve Shives went on to do what? Steve Shives went on to lose a local election. <laughs> I don't know. What would you be running for? Um, I would pay money for you to run an election in your hometown. Oh, my God. And another thing. Ice cream shops are forbidden. <laughs> uh, Steve, this is just an election for town council. We don't have debates or Fuck anything. Fuck you. <laughs> I want motorcycles stopped at the edge of town. Oh, that now. See, you're riding my platform. It's been a Disassembled. <laughs> Not just banned, but we will we will take them and and take them apart. I want them molded down for the huge statue of Werner Herzog <laughs> and Stanley Kubrick making out that I'm putting out in front of the library. Yes, yes. we're going to take out that World War II memorial. <laughs> we're going to put the Herzog-Kubrick statue right there. No more kids. They're going to the kid compound. I mean, happy fun place. <laughs> We're relocating the elementary school 20 miles outside of town. We're soundproofing a slaughterhouse. <laughs> no, I'm sure your rule would be just and wonderful. Uh, of and course, of course it would. But it wouldn't because oh. I would lose. I lose the election. Why do you? Why is that the good happy ending? I was just thing? trying to think of something that would give people a giggle. That's all. You're an improv dude. Am I? <laughs> people should listen to our other podcast and judge that. That's it. They have. They think you're great. That's what it should say on your business card. Steve Shives, improv dude. Oh boy. <laughs> hey, you improv dude. Say something funny. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm. Gonna- I know what mine's gonna say. What's yours gonna say? And he put his mind into a robot body and launched himself to the stars. Oh, that's so much better than mine. Well, yeah, because you have no imagination. You didn't pay attention to the whole thing of the movie. (laughs) You're like, oh, I'll lose an election. I'm like, I'm going to the stars in a robot body. (laughs) I'll be consoling myself with a a warm beer. (laughs) No wonder you hated the movie. (laughs) I'll be consoling myself the night of my defeat with a warm beer all alone. You'll be giving me the finger from the sky in a robot body. <laughs> this could have been you, dipshit. All right, goodbye, everybody. Bye, everybody. I think we re- revealed a lot about each other in this last <laughs> this one. I think we did. I agree. I would take you with me. Aw, would would I have a robot body, or would you? Would I just be like no. hanging onto your neck? <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're, like Gigantor. We're going to space. Hold, yeah. hold your breath. You're going to just hold on to my neck. <laughs> Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Let Me Listen. And thanks for listening.